0: So, uh, tonight, uh, as we said, we left off last week, we had gotten just up to Shemona Esrei, uh, and we said that we're going to uh, begin Shmon Esrei, and tonight, uh, our approach is going to be uh, a little bit different than the approach that we've taken until now, in terms of reading the various sources inside to understand the overall structure of davening of the sitter itself, the, the GPS for uh, for the sitter, and tonight we're still going to st- uh, stick with a GPS type of approach, trying to look like with that uh, that uh, that, uh, that the overview, that satellite view of the way uh, Shmonesrei is structured. We're going to do it based on. This goes back many years i don't remember i didn't even write what what date it was but uh, many many years ago 15 20 years ago we had given a, a series on the uh on, on davening in the sitter and at, at that time so i had found some uh, some interesting things about the internal structure of shmonas right so we're going to try and go through that it'll probably take us uh, at least two weeks if not three weeks to go through just to appreciate the structure again this has nothing to do with the words of Shmona but just the structure, the internal structure of what's uh, of what's uh, what's there. So we'll uh, we'll start the, that tonight. So it'll be more of a discussion, although we will still have the uh, the uh, the sitter in front of us, just because when we talk about various brachas so it'll be important to uh, to see what exactly those uh, th- those brachos are. Okay, so with that introduction in place. Okay, so with that introduction in place, so Chazal already tell us that the way Shemonesre is structured is the, the, the basic structure is there's three sections. There's the first three brachos, as we're going to see, that's what we refer to as Shevach. So those are praises of God. This is what Chazal tells us, that when a servant approaches his master or a servant approaches the king to ask for a favor, so the first thing that the servant is going to do on his way and it says, oh, great and mighty Oz or whatever the, uh, the, the phrase is going to be. But you're going to start off with some sort of praise of the, uh, of the king or the being that you are addressing. So the first three brachas are shavach, are praise of God in terms of his power, in terms of his, in terms of his might. So, for example, we say in the first bracha, we say, it's on the screen in front of you. Yes. Yeah. yes. So we say that you are a God who is uh, the Almighty, the Great, the Powerful, the Awesome, Most High Almighty. So we're praising God in terms of, this is a phrase which is taken from Tanakh, which was incorporated by uh, by the Hatshik Nes Sagdola, But we say these praises of how great God is. In the second brach also, so we're, again, we're, we're focusing on God's power. You are mighty forever. You are so mighty that you can even resurrect the dead. is uh, advanced as we are medically and scientifically, resurrecting the dead is not something which I think is really on the agenda as of yet to go ahead and do so. We're, we're really good at trying to prevent death. But once death is kicked in, so it's, uh, that's somewhat of a difficult thing to go ahead and to, uh, to undo. So that's the the, the the intent of the first three brachas, Chazal Talas, is that of Shabbat. Then what we have is, um, we have the middle 13 brachas. So the middle 13 brachas, it begins with el Adam um, da'as, right? Where we begin with asking God for wisdom. And then that takes us all the way through the end of the bracha of Shomeya When we say, Baruch atah Hashem, Shome'a the end of that uh, 13th middle bracha, so this is the end of the requests. So this is the ask. So, all of you who are salespeople, and all of us ultimately in some way, shape, or another are salespeople, but first you start off with the praise, you tell the person how great they are, then you go ahead and you deliver the ask, what it, exactly it is that you want. You want knowledge, you want forgiveness, you want uh, you want good health. You want parnasa. You want all of those things, and then the last three brachas, which begins with ritzei, So The last three brachas I will refer to as a section of hoda. Hoda means to give thanks, thanksgiving to our kadosh baruch Hu, And this is clearly illustrated by the fact that, or expressed when we say modim that we are thankful to you, Hashem. And this is the 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 the, the uh, overarching theme. Of the last three b'chachas is the fact that we are thankful to Hashem. It ends. um, let's get that. And for all of the foregoing, may your name, our King, constantly be blessed, extolled, forever. Right. So we see very clearly that where your name is good, and it's appropriate to go ahead and give thanks to you. So that's the theme of these last three brachas, and this is again from the perspective of Chazal. Once you go ahead and you uh, you, uh, praised the, uh, you praised the you praise God, you ask for what you wanted, and then you give thanks for the things which you have received already in the uh, in the in the past. So this is a basic structure. This is the most basic structure. We have three, thirteen, and three, and as we know, the first three brachas and the last three brachas are primarily consistent throughout the year, Shabbos and Yom if they don't really change, the only time you see a little bit of a variation is during the Aser Chuva. Tshuva. During the Aser Shimei Tshuva, we go ahead and we throw in some additional phrases, certainly on Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, we add a couple of paragraphs, but all of it is going to be uh, uh, overall consistent with this theme. Shavach Bakasha, it's going to be the praises, it's going to be bakasha, it's going to be request, and then it's going to be hodah, it's going to be thanksgiving to, uh, to God. So that is the, the broadest structure which, uh, which we have. Now remember, all of this has to be understood. We were talking about this since the beginning of the series. All of this has to be understood in the context of the fact that from the time that we begin, Hashem svasaitifta haitif ta'chufi'a My master, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. This is where we are finally, this is the highlight of tefillah, where we're finally in direct conversation with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. This is an intimate, private conversation. That's why it's done quietly. It's not done out loud because each person is going to communicate with God based on their unique experience and their unique uh, understanding of God and their unique understanding of themselves and their own experiences in all, in, in all of that. But this is this, the most private, intimate conversation that we could possibly have. And this is what we were building towards. If you remember all the way at the beginning of the series, we talked about how, uh, according to some uh, 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 commentators of the sitter, so we begin sort of like a ground level, we begin to climb the ladder up, up, up. Each stage of davening gets us to a different, uh, a different level. Finally, we're at, the high, we're at the top of the ladder where we're actually communicating with God, like the, uh, the, the ladder in Jacob's dream, where we finally reach the top of that. And you see all on the way there, there's Malachim Olimbi or Dimbo. We pass by all sorts of uh, traffic of, of angels going up and down the, uh, the ladder. But at the very top of the ladder, that's where we actually see God. And that's where we're holding Baishmon Esrei. So Shimon Asrei now is this opportunity that we have to, to, to communicate directly with God, one-on-one, this unbelievable, uh, this unbelievable privilege. So that's where we're holding as far as that. Now, the Gemara, those who, uh, who are up-to-date in, the, in Dafyomi, even if you fell behind, I guess, a little bit in Dafyomi, but you'll recall that the Gemara tells us, the Gemara lays out the internal structure, the, and I shouldn't say the internal structure, it lays out the sequence of the brachas of Shimon based on different psukim and different ideas which are juxtaposed in, in various psukim. And it talks about where we go from bracha 1 to bracha 2, bracha 2 to bracha 3, bracha 3 to bracha 4, all the way through it lays out the sequence of the, of the brachas. And as we said, much of that revolves around specific psukim that, we'll just say for simplicity, the Anche Knesset Sagadola identified and pointed to in terms of a logical sequence of brachas, some of it had to do with gematrias and why brachas are in particular number positions, but they go ahead and they, they, they explain that. Now, if somebody is well-versed in Tanakh and is going to spend the time researching these psukim and looking at the meforshim on those psukim, so that would add a lot to the understanding of the sequence of the brachas. Uh, I am not, anybody who goes to Dafyomi knows, I'm not well versed in Tanakh and I do not feel comfortable with the commentaries uh, you know, what what, what they happen to say so what we are going to have to do instead of that, instead of using the Gemara and Brachos as our uh, springboard to be able to understand and appreciate the sequence and the structure so we're going to have to go ahead and do so uh, uh, from a, a, a different perspective now um, within the um, so, as far as the first three brachas and the last three brachas are concerned, as far as uh, the uh, first three brachas the last brachas are concerned, so uh, there's two different explanations to, uh, to uh, what exactly the intent and the structure of these brachas happens to be. And each one has a myla and a khisaron, Each one has an advantage to its explanation and a shortcoming, which the other one is going to be able to, uh, to compensate. So in the, in the first approach, so we, there's a, a parallel which is drawn. Charlene, you'll tell this uh, to Bob in case after he finishes Chumash, he want to work on the internal structure <laughs> of, of Shmon Eswe. he'll appreciate this. But he says that the first three brachas and the last three brachas have a parallel theme between them, and as, as you'll see. So the first three brachas address the questions of, number one, who governs the universe? Number two, what are his powers? And then number three, what influences him? So those are the first three brachas. That's what they're coming to ask. Because it's sort of like, just like we, 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 we now have psuket uh, izimra, uh, to meditate and to think about who exactly we are uh, conversing with. So the first three brachas of Shmonesrei is formulated by the Anshek Nesagdola before Pesuch Edezimr existed and before Brichos Kriya Shema existed. So they go ahead and the first three brachas address these, these questions. So the first question is, who is it that we're turning to? Who is it that governs the universe? And we say the answer to that is Elokeinu V'Elokei So the person that we are addressing in this tefillah is our God and the God of our ancestors. So that is the person that we are turning to. Then the second question is, what are his powers? Who is, uh, granted, now we know who he is, but what is he capable of doing? So we say, when we ask the question about what he's capable of doing, so you see the title that they give, Divine Might, but we say, atagi So we say right off the bat that you are incredibly powerful, and we add, you support the world in your kindness. You go ahead and you resurrect the dead with your abundant mercy. You support those who fall. You heal the ill. And you go ahead and you release those who are in prison. So all of these are descriptions of God's power. He's omnipotent. So that's what we're addressing in the second bracha. We've now identified who he is we now know what his powers are because we enumerate a number of his powers here in the second bracha and then the third question is what influences him right so everybody knows if you're going for a job interview or something like that so you need to know if you're going to be if it's going to be an effective and productive interview you need to be able to demonstrate that you are familiar with what the company does, what the CEO, what the person who interviews, what their responsibilities are. You need to do a lot of research because you want to make sure that you present yourself, you use language, and you address things which are going to show that that you're sensitive to what is of interest to the person who is interviewing you. So when you're speaking with God, so what exactly are going to be those things which are going to influence God? How are you going to be able to manipulate the system? So amazingly, we say... You are holy and your name is holy. Holy in this regard means that you are completely separate and apart from everything. Kadusha meaning designated or set apart from everything else. And he's not influenced by anything. So you can't go ahead and invoke any sort of protexia to get something that you want out of God. Because there's no protexia when it comes to God. God addresses each of us as individuals. And you're not going to be able to drop names and drop, oh, do some Jewish geography with God. Oh, God, you're from, uh, you know, Ghanaian. Oh, I knew some people lived in Ghanaian once upon a time. So those are things which are not going to get you very far as far as influence of God because atah kadosh is kadosh, and therefore you're completely separate and apart from everything else. So that is the structure. That's what we're trying to accomplish in those first three brachas. Who is God? What are his powers and what influences him? Now, according to this approach, when we get to the last three brachas, so we are asking the parallel questions. Rabbi Sheffel? Yes. Can I just ask you, it seems odd to me that we're saying that, Hashem, what influences you? Nothing influences you, but here we are davening to you to hope to influence you. Uh, We are hoping to position ourselves. We're not trying to, yeah. yeah, yes, okay. I, I I will accept that. Uh, that goes to the uh, to the overall um, uh, question of what exactly is the purpose of prayer? If God knows everything, if God is omniscient, he knows what my needs are, so I don't need to approach him in prayer. He knows what I need better than, than what I know. I, there's things which I, I think I need, which ultimately I don't really need. Things I don't realize that I need. And God knows that I actually do need them. So God is much in a much better position to provide our needs than for us to make requests, because our requests are, are very often short sighted, selfish, and self serving, and that's not necessarily what we want out of our out of our prayer experience. So uh, so yes, uh, your 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 question is 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 uh, is well placed in terms of us trying to. We're not really trying to influence Him. I would say we're trying more to position ourselves to become. More worthy of the divine flow of bracha. So there's a divine flow of bracha which is which is coming out into a, which is coming out into the physical world, and we're trying to put ourselves in the correct place to be recipients of that, rather than actually trying to change God, who ultimately is unchanging. But your question about how exactly prayer works is a uh, is is one of the. Uh, uh, the most profound questions that we have uh, that that any religion has when they are trying to address a divine being. Thank you. Now, according to this approach, so then you have a, uh, the, so the first three brachas are who is God? What are his powers? What influences him? The last three brachas address those same questions turned inward, meaning who are we? What are our powers and what influences us so that's that internal structure that I meant uh, Charlene that you'll share with Bob in terms of that they're they're, they're, they're opposite sides of the uh, of the coin So who are we? so we begin by saying uh, that we are servants of Hashem and as such we do the avoda. so you see over here the avoda is that's the name of that of this bracha, is the temple service this bracha is known as avoda so that's who we are as loyal servants of Hakarish Baruch Hu. So that's what we do. Then the next question is, what are our powers? Our powers are, in terms of independent power, we have absolutely nothing. We cannot claim independent power in the ability to do everything. And therefore, You are a God. You are the rock of our lives. You are the shield of our salvation. And then we say, uh, we give thanks to you and we recount your praises. For the very existence of our lives is something which is delivered, is, is in your hands. And our souls, not only our physical bodies, but our souls also are entrusted to you. And we exist only because only because of our the miraculous existence, which is our lives, which ultimately is always going to be traced back to you. So we are completely powerless. We have no control and no power to... Uh, to uh, direct our destiny or our well-being. And therefore, it's only because Hatov kilo chalura, chalura chamecha, you are good and your mercy never ceases. Hamrachem, and you're merciful kilo samu because your, uh, your kindness never ceases. Ki and therefore, our hope is placed in you forever because without you there behind the scenes, so then we have absolutely nothing. So that's addressing what our power is. And essentially it is, we are powerless and therefore we have nothing other than to give thanks to you because everything ultimately traces itself back to you. And then addressing the last question, what influences us? So it is only because of the existence of peace. Like Hazal say, the very end of Vishnayas says, Hakarish Baruch Hu was looking for the keli, the utensil, which would be able to contain the brachas which HaKadosh Baruch Hu bestows upon us. And the only kli, the only utensil, which HaKadosh Baruch Hu found worthy of being able to contain bracha is that of shalom, that of divine harmony. So therefore, this last bracha goes ahead and tells us what is it that's going to influence us and what is it that's going to be able to capture all of the divine bracha, which Akash Baruch Hu wants to shower upon us. It's only the existence of shalom which allows, which, which is the receptacle to allow that to, to come into existence. In absent that, we have absolutely nothing, and we would uh, uh, we would be, uh, you know, uh, completely uh, uh, subject to uh, to the laws of nature, and we'd be no different and no more elevated than the uh, the creatures which uh, which exist around us. So that is this approach to the first three brachas, that's one approach, the first three brachas, the last three brachas, which have, as we said, this parallel, what influences God or us, what are his powers versus our powers, and what influences him versus what influences us. So that is one way. Now again, we got Got a life of its own. Sorry. Somehow we ended up in Kriya Sator. Now, so that was... One way of being able to see the uh, the the brachas, the first three of the last three. The next approach, the second approach to understanding the first three brachas and the last three brachas, um, I think is a lot is a bit more loyal to the text, to the reading of the text itself. So you don't need as large of a sledgehammer to go ahead and force the uh, the pshat in there. But it does lack that nice neat parallel to go ahead and see how the first three brachas, last three brachas are two sides of, a, of, of the same coin. And that is, so in the, according to the second approach, the first bracha asks the question, who are we to come before God in uh, communication with him? So what right do we have to approach God? So this is now addressing the fundamental philosophical question uh, everybody here knows if you wanted to go ahead and speak to the mayor, even Mayor Van Dusen, let alone uh, Mayor Lightfoot, but if you wanted to go ahead and speak to the uh, to the mayor, or you wanted to go ahead and speak to the governor, or you wanted to go ahead and speak to the president, so that's just not happening. There's no way you're going to get an audience with any one of those people. Many people, depending on where you work, uh, it may be that the CEO of your company, uh, you may not even be able to get in there to be able to uh, to speak to him. Ask Ralph, he has a hard time speaking to his CEO all the time. So you have these <laughs> doesn't answer his own call. So he says. <laughs> so he says. So the uh, the first thing is. So who are we to be able to approach God? So therefore we say we go ahead and this is where we do name drop, and we say Elokeinu v'Elokev Avram, Yitzchak, So we say what gives us the right, in what gives us license to be able to approach God, is the fact that we are children of the patriarchs. Patriarchs, matriarchs go to uh, together in this regard. But we are children of our patriarchs, and in this regard, so they have already created for us this path in this relationship, which allows us to be able to uh, to be able to uh, to access it. Uh, uh, the, uh, the the, the uh, um, uh, I think I've mentioned uh, uh, it was probably a number of years ago, but uh, the relationship which exists between Uh, the members of my high school graduating class so uh almost 35 years later that may be a lot or a little depending on uh, your age but uh, the 35 years later so we we remain very close and there's no doubt whatsoever that if anyone were to call and identify them as a child of one of those people i would be attentive to whatever i could do for them right away i don't have to know them at all but as long as they could go ahead and they can invoke that they are a child of somebody from my class, so right away they have my, uh, my, my 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 full attention. So in this first bracha, that's what we're addressing. We're saying the right that we have to stand before God is the fact that we are descendants of, of Rabbi Yitzhak and Yaakov. Sarifka, Rachel, and Leah. Then in the second bracha, then we ask, we, we are asking the question, we're addressing the question, who is God? that we should go ahead and approach God in prayer. Now that we know who we are and why we are there, now the question is, who is this God that we are speaking to? Somebody calls me on the phone and say, Rabbi, could you help me? Who are you? I am so-and-so's son. Okay, why are you calling me? I'm more than happy to help you, but why are you calling me? What can I do for you? So the answer to that obviously is the fact that God is omnipotent. That's why the bracha is divine might. So this bracha tells us why it is. It doesn't address why we are here, but addresses what we hope to accomplish by being here in conversation with God. And that is the fact that God is powerful and his power is so great. As we said, the first thing that we mentioned when we talk about God's power is Mm -hmm. the fact that God has the ultimate power of life and death. And that is illustrated and and, uh, and communicated uh, no more clearly than the fact that he has the power to go ahead and resurrect the dead. So that means if he could resurrect the dead, he could do all sorts of different things together with that. And now the third bracha, uh, sorry, the third bracha follows the first two. And that addresses, once we know who, who we are, the descendants of Avril and Yaakov, we know who God is. He is the omnipotent God who could do it every once. So in order for there to be communication, there has to be common ground between them. There has to be some shared language, which we and God are going to share, which is now that bridge which allows us to actually have communication. So what is that shared principle, or that shared language which we have, which allows us to be able to communicate directly with God? So this is, Ata Kadosh, Shimcha Kadosh. So the first thing we do is, when we're going to go ahead and we're going to capture, or, or we're going to describe God, the way we go ahead and do so is, you and your name are Kadosh. So it's going to be, you have this theme of Kedusha, which revolves around your existence, your capital Y. And then we say, And holy ones, and according to this approach, holy ones are not holy angels. Holy ones are the Jewish people. So we as Kedoshim, Kedoshim to you, we are called upon to be holy and sacred and set apart to God. So our existence also is one which revolves around the theme of Kedusha. And this now becomes the common language or the common characteristic which links us together with God to be able to have this conversation. So we start out by defining who we are, the first bracha. Then we start out by defining, in a sense, who God is and what his powers are. That's the second bracha. The third bracha is very short and sweet, but it establishes the common theme, the common, the shared principle, or the common language which we have, the common characteristic which we have, which allows us to connect with one another, and that is the characteristic of kedusha. And that allows us to be able to go ahead, and once we have that parallel element, of our relationship, so that allows us to go ahead and to be able to communicate with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. and now we could then move on, once we've established the parameters of who we are, who Hashem is, and what we have in common, then we can move on to the ask. Then we can move on to the 13 requests, which we're going to then uh, enumerate, we're going to present to uh, to God, and that is um, uh, Right. So that is going to be as far as those first three brachas. Um, right. So now, in the as far as the last three brachas are concerned, let me get us there. So the last three brachas are coming to address a different uh, a different set of questions. Again, it's not the flip side of the, the same coin, but it's a different set of questions, and that is. Uh, what are the signs that our prayers have been answered? How exactly do we go about uh, after we finished our request? So how do we know that our prayers have been answered? And they've been answered in full. And the answer to that is, well, we will know that will uh, will occur, that it's been fully answered when, right? One of the major themes of this, uh, the 17th bracha is, so we see that one of our, 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 it's like a request over here, but the last three brachas don't really retain, uh, uh, contain a request. What they are is this desire to be able to see that our prayers and our avoda should be found acceptable to you. That's ultimately what we want: is that our prayers and our avoda, the restored avoda of uh, That's the isha yisrael, the burnt offerings of the Jewish people, as well as our prayers. So be We want them to be accepted willingly by uh, by God, and that is going to be the ultimate um, uh, indicator. That's going to be the ultimate sign. Of the fact that our prayers were fully answered and our Hakash is accepting and in the, in the, in the receptive to our prayers. So that is the 17th bracha. Then uh, we ask the question we go back to sort of like a, a, a conceptually and philosophically why exactly is it that we are, uh, 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 why do we pray to God? Why have we prayed to Hashem? So the answer to that is. Begins with the Modima Nachdullah is the fact that we recognize that Akarishborhu is the source of all blessing. So that's what we say this idea al So being that you, Hashem, are the source of all blessing, and therefore we give thanks to you because of that. So that is why we turn to you in the first place. And then uh, then we ask the question: If the blessings, if we know that Hakadosh Baruch Hu is going to respond to our tefillos, our, our, our requests, and we know uh, exactly why it is that we're turning to Him for Him, so how is it that we're, that's going? How are those blessings going to be manifest? How are they going to be realized in practical terms? So that is the final bracha of Sim Shalom, where we're going to see a clear indication of the fact that Kodesh is receptive to all of our brachas by virtue of the fact that that's going to be in the context of Shalom. So that's why I say, seeing Shalom Yisrael So that's going to be the manifestation, the realization of all of those brachas is going to be seen through the light of God's presence, specifically through as we said, like the last Mishnah and all of Mishnahis tells us, is going to be in this context of seeing Shalom within the within the within the world. Shalom, as we talk about in Drashas all the time, not the absence of peace, not the absence of war or the absence of conflict. It's not that type of shalom that we are talking about, but it's a shalom where all the disparate parts are able to merge together and you're able to reconstruct that perfect system, that perfect uh, machine with all of the parts. That's when you go ahead and you do that, do it yourself repair, and you actually don't end up with any extra pieces on the floor when you're done. So that's when you know that, that you have complete shalom, you've actually completed the, uh, the task because you put everything back together and to, to, again and bar Hashem, it's now functioning and it's working as it should. So those are two different bro- approaches to the first three and last three brachas. As we said, those are the ones which remain primarily consistent throughout the, throughout the year. Shabbos and Yantif, and only Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur time, do we make slight amendations? And we add some paragraphs here or there. Now, the middle set of brachas, however, so this is something which does change. So during the weekday, we know we have the 13 requests. Shabbos. Each what's interesting is Shabbos. Each one of the brachas is a different uh, uh, v- is different wording. There's a Friday night version, Shabbos morning version, Shabbos Mincha version, and then, and then on Yontif we also change up the middle brachas. It's going to be one bracha, but each time we say uh, uh, Mariv, Shacharis, and Mincha, the language is consistent. Only by Musaf does it uh, change up for different reasons, which hopefully we'll get to at some point later on in the in, in the series. But right now, we want to go ahead and we want to explore what exactly is the internal structure. There's an internal structure uh, in sequence, but over here we're going to say more structure of the thirteen brachas. So you may think, if you uh, that putting aside the Gemara and Megillah, which uh, which uh, elaborates on the sequence based on psukim, but there's uh, there's actually an internal logic an internal structure to those 13 brachas, which are actually very specific, once you see it, so you'll say, wow, that's amazing that 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 structure is there, but it's something which is very specific. And in order to understand the first one, we probably won't even get to the second one, so hopefully we can finish this first one, although I don't want to rush too much, but the, uh, the, uh, the, the internal structure of the first explanation, of the internal structure. So this goes back to also the Gemara and Brachos, if you remember. So it tells us that there, there are two opinions in the Gemara as to what tefillah, when, when the Antra Nesta Sagadola decided that they were going to introduce, they were going to uh, begin to transition us from avoda being korbanos to avoda being prayer. And they began to compose Prayers and began to institute the formality of daily prayer into our lives, specific times and specific texts which we're going to say. So they patterned the tefillah after one of two things either tefillah is kineged avos tiknu, that they went ahead and they instituted prayer based on the precedent of prayer which we find by Avram and Yaakov. Chazal tells Avram Avinu was the one who instituted Shachris, Vashkim, Avram Babokir. Yeah, uh, Yitzchak was the one who, when Rifka shows up, so Yitzchak is davening uh, mincha. So he's uh, he caught a late mincha uh, out in the field uh, somewhere. It was difficult to get a minion, but he found one out in the field somewhere. And then Yaakov was the one who goes out and introduces the uh, what was originally uh, 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 instituted as an optional prayer, but he's the one who introduced marif. So that's one pattern which Chazal see for our prayers. And that's why Chazal would go ahead and they also instituted when they introduced prayer. So they weren't introducing a single prayer per day. They introduced following the Avos, they introduced there's going to be a morning prayer, there's an afternoon prayer, and then there is a evening prayer. That's one explanation as to why Chazal instituted Shafet Ben The other part is, the other explanation that the Gomar gives is that they patterned it after the Korbanos. So we know in the avodah of the Beis HaMikdash, which makes sense, that if prayer is now going to be a replacement for the avodah of the Beis HaMikdash, the offering of korbanos in the Beis HaMikdash, so they would want to go ahead and they would follow the structure, inner structure of korbanos. So just like there's a korban which is brought in the morning, the Tomet shel and then there's a korban which is brought in the afternoon, the Tomet shel Ben Harbayim, and then at nighttime, they had in the event that it was a busy day in the Beis HaMikdash, and they didn't get around to burning all of the sacrificial parts, the various limbs and fats of the uh, the korbanos over the course of the day. So there were kohanim who were on duty. They got paid a time and a half to be there throughout the night, and they uh, hopefully get paid time and a half. And then they would go ahead and they would uh, they would burn on the altar on the mizbeach itself. They would burn all of the uh, the sacrificial limbs and sacrificial fats from the animals which did not have a chance to be burned on the Mizbah during the day, and that would be the basis of davening marv. So following that second explanation, that the structure of shacharis, mincha, and marv is patterned after the uh, the korbanos, the tamad shal the tamad shal and the avarmu mupadarim, the burning of the Fats. So following that theme, so uh, as everybody knows, anybody, you, whether you remember from last Saph cycle or You'll see when we get to this uh, the, when we get much later on in Shas at the end of the uh, at the end of the Shas. But the most important part of the offering of a korban is actually not the burning of the sacrificial parts on the Mizbah. The most important part, the most important element of the service of bringing a korban was the blood application. The blood application is what makes or breaks the, a successful uh, successful korban, and. Remember, if you say korbanos, you say that section with the Mishnayis of a zeu on a daily basis. So you know that different korbanos have different blood applications. Sometimes it's poured, sometimes it's sprinkled, sometimes it's thrown, sometimes it's two applications, sometimes it's four applications. So there's all different ways, different korbanos have all sorts of different ways by which the blood of that particular korban is going to be applied to the Mizbeach. And each one has a reason why why that's going to be so. So the main thing for us is obviously uh, we, we don't need to be focused too much on other korbanos. The main thing for us is how is the blood of the Tamachel Shachar in the Tamachel Ben Harbayim, how is that applied to the Mizbah? So the Mishnah tells us that it's two pourings which are four. Sheim arba. So what does that mean when we say that it's two pourings which are four? What so happened is is that Cohen would go ahead and so on the uh on the uh the uh, the mizbah? So he would first go to the he would he would ascend the ramp and then when he go to the northeast corner, northeast corner meaning he would go up to New York or he would go up to Maine. And when he got to that northeast corner, so he would go ahead and he from the container which 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 held the blood from the from the tumet, from the from the animal the slaughtered uh, lamb so he would go ahead and he would pour directly onto that corner that northeast corner and the blood would then pour out from the container and it would hit the northern side of the mizbech as well as the eastern side of the mizbech so by pouring it on that corner he covered those two corners then when he finished that he would walk around to northwest to southwest and when he would he reach the southwest corner he would, once again he would do another pouring directly onto that corner onto that 90 degree angle, which is the southwest corner when he's down in California there, Southern California. And once again, that would allow for blood to go on the western face of the Mizbath, as well as the southern face of the Mizbath. So two pourings, and those two pourings covered all the directions of east, north, uh, west, and south. Now everything, uh, when you uh, take a step back, again, patterns in, uh, in Judaism, so nothing is, going to be a, nothing is going to be random and everything is going to be done with a theme and something in mind and directions, the directions of north, south, east and west are something which once you begin to pay attention to it, so you should theoretically, you should not theoretically, you can if you have enough uh, you know, information and in creativity, but everything which is north, south, east and west ultimately always has to be connected with one another. Because north always represents a particular theme, south is a different theme, East is one theme, and then West is is another theme. So, therefore. Uh, uh, because all of that has to do with the light of God, or the spiritual flow, which is coming into the world from that, which are represented by those directions, and if you pay attention, you think about what each of those directions represent, so that allows you to understand what happens, for example, why there's going to be a, a, a connection between the northeast corner, north and east are, are, are going to come together, and then there's going to be a reason why south and west are going to come together, and they, it's not by accident that it's, Northeast rather than uh, northwest, and it's not going to be by by accident that it's going to be southwest rather than let's say southeast. So those two corners coming together are going to be very are going to be very specific. So now let's explore the significance of directions in Jewish thought, and then maybe once we get to that, so then we'll have to pause while we know just our north, south, east, and west, and then we'll see how they converge in the form of prayer uh, next week but north always represents material wealth. So if you, if you remember, on the northern side of the, of the heichal, uh, the heichal is the more sacred room where you have the shulchan and the menorah and the mizbech ha So you have the table which has on it the bread. You have the menorah, which has the lights which are burning on a, day, which are on a daily basis. You have the mizbech upon which the kataris, the, um, the, the incense was burned. So on the northern wall, on the northern side of that room, is the shochan. So the shochan has the bread. So bread represents material wealth. So north is always going to be tribu- is always going to be connected with material wealth. West always represents the divine presence. So that's why, uh, or if you keep going west, if you go all the way through the heichal to the westernmost part, you'll get to the curtains, which allow you give you access to the kodesh kadashim. So the Kodesh Kodesh is where the spiritual and the physical meet, at their meeting point, right on top of the Arun Kodesh. So that represents the most spiritual of all of the directions that we have. is going to be west. That's why, as we said, the Arun is going to, uh, to, uh, to, to be there. Now, so, represents for a variety of reasons. But that represents uh, fertility. The menorah is going to be connected with that. And, well, hold on, I forgot, i supposed to start with east. Um, in east, represents the uh, the light of the, of God's spirit, that uh, the the spirit or God's light which enters into the world. So east is God's God's spirit or light. North North is material wealth. Uh, the West is going to be uh, sorry that was West. No sorry yeah North is uh, is is material wealth. West is going to be the divine presence and then. Finally, the South represents the, uh, the, uh, the beneficial force of fertility. So now the Northeast corner, when you go ahead and they apply blood on the Northeast corner, so this is, the, this is the meeting place. This is the connection between the spiritual and material forces of the individual. So Northeast is the material and spiritual of a person as an individual. And the Southwest corner Represents those same, bless, those same blessings, those same brachas of material and spiritual, but that's going to be on a communal level. So the first application is material and spiritual for an individual. The second application in Southwest, down in California, is going to be the material and the spiritual on behalf of the on behalf of the community. And if you'd like to go ahead and do some homework, I'm giving you an assignment uh, for uh, next week. Not that I'm going to collect the assignment, but the assignment for next week is. If you know that the tribes encamped in the wilderness, now we're in the Parshish, where they're actually traveling in the wilderness, and we know when we get to Babibur, we're going to find out that there were three tribes north, three tribes south, three tribes east, and three tribes west, and each of those directions of the tribes, those tribes represent those blessings as well those who are the spiritual and those who are the material and those who represent the individuals and those who are going to represent the community. So all of these things which are going to be, and that's why the Torah is very makhbet, that as they travel, they have to travel in that square in that particular Shuvatim have to be in their designated location in that square. And you can't like sleep over by somebody else's, uh, you know, shavit or something like that. Or just decide for a different view one time, i like to see the basamitas from the Western view rather than the Eastern view. So those on the West and those on the East will just go ahead and trade tents for a night. And they'll go, you know, go vacation somewhere else. So that wasn't allowed because there's sp- particular spiritual forces which are at work over there. And therefore... All of that thing is going to be very direction specific. And that's why you have the blood application being done specifically. That's why it's going to be northeast, because that's for the individual spiritual material. And that's why it has to be southwest, because you also have the material in the spiritual but for the, on the communal level. And you don't want it to be configured in a different way, because that's going to mess up the flow of blessing into, the, into this world. And then next week, Amir's Hashem, so we'll begin with the, this point, where we'll see how this translates into the internal structure of these 13 brachas. As you can anticipate, there's going to be, we're going to put aside the, the middle one over there, but there's going to be three, 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 and three. So the 13 is going to be, it's really going to be 12. And each of those 12 is going to have, is going to be divided into four parts, three each. And we'll see how that internal structure is going to, is going to translate. So what is okay. the assignment? Uh, but the assignment is to think about which shvatim are in which directions, and if you look at the brachas which those shvatim receive from Yaakov Avinu, Parshas most Moshe Rabbeinu, and Parshas Vizosa, Bracha, and see how each of those shvatim, each of those three shvatim on each of those sides, they they have to have a common uh, denominator between them. Why you have the east shvatim, the west shvatim, the north shvatim, and the south shvatim? All right, give All right, so appreciate everybody. Uh, Everybody coming? Where am I?
1: Here? Have and, I shuffle. You, did you say yeah. the
0: South was fertility? Um, I said the South was a beneficial force of fertility. It was what? Yeah, fertility. By the way, when you put your head down, we lose the voice. I mean, I do at least. I don't know about everybody yeah. else. You need you to reposition it. your mic. Definite change in the audio depending on which way you project. Uh, it change? That's better. That's better. I move my computer a little bit, but uh, it, yeah. th- there's no microphone other than wherever it is on my laptop. I don't even know where it is. When I when I look down though, that the, the sound changes. Yes, yes. you can hear right it out. out sometimes. Oh really? Yeah. Actually, I, actually, I don't know. I don't know if it's the microphone on my laptop. Let me. We don't need to record this. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't know. If it's, <laughs> I don't know if it's.